Hi there. Thanks for clicking in. This is Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA, and this is Three Things in Credit, our weekly podcast of things that we think are relevant to credit investors. As always, don't be shy with your feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. All right, let's get started. Our three things in credit this week are, one, the strength of the U.S. housing market. Counterintuitively, home values are rising at an increasing pace, and some are openly wondering if this is becoming a bubble. That should send a shiver up the spine of any of you old enough to remember the early 2000s. We'll have a look. Two, speaking of bubbles, they seem to be everywhere this week, or at least various things were labeled as such. Bubbles, to the extent they are real, generally don't deflate elegantly. We'll bring a credit analyst view to some of these situations. And three, it's earnings season, and just about everyone reporting is, all things considered, upbeat. We'll test that enthusiasm as any good creditor would. So there you have it. Let's dig into these three things one by one. Let's start with housing. So you might have missed this because it's usually the last thing we look for in a downturn, but home prices are soaring. This past week, the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index showed a year-over-year gain of 9.5% in November, the highest since February 2014 and consistent with levels achieved in the run-up to the global financial crisis. Growth has broken out of a more normal long-term rate of around 4% to 7% in September, 8.4% in October, and now 9.5% in November. Now keep in mind this is happening in what is typically a quiet period for the residential market. Quiet, this period is not. Existing home sales jumped 22% year over year to the highest level since 2006. Listen closely and you hear a lot of comparisons to 2005, 2006, and that should make any credit investor wary. But fear not. The COVID era has been, at its core, a different kind of shock to the economy than is typical in more normal downturns. Those are usually the result of imbalances that have been allowed to build up in an economy before correcting forces, such as the Fed, stepping in to do the dirty work. Alternatively, in the COVID era, personal income has gone up, personal savings has gone up, and yes, housing values have gone up. The first two points have been propelled by massive stimulus and a successful adaptation by much of the economy to the shock. The latter, housing values, have benefited from a supply-demand imbalance. There simply is not enough supply as opposed to the oversupply leading up to the GFC. That lack of supply has been met with two demand catalysts that have intensified in the COVID era. One, record low mortgage rates, engineered by the Fed, which has improved affordability. And two, increased demand for single-family homes outside of densely populated city centers. All right, now onto the supply front. The homeowner vacancy rate is less than 1%, 0.9%, the lowest level ever recorded with data back to 1956. Home builders have been cautious ever since the housing bubble 12 years ago. Today, housing inventory would be wiped out in just three and a half months. There's just not much supply out there. Rising home values coupled with rising stock markets have boosted American household net worth to its highest level ever, $124 trillion, up 8% in the year ended September. I bet you weren't thinking about that back in March and April. In any event, while we've seen an uptick in housing starts in December, 1.7 million units, 5.8% more than the previous month and the highest since 2006. 
but we'll have to see many more similar months before we start to worry about oversupply. In the meantime, the average homeowner's balance sheet continues to strengthen. So should investors be wary about what's going on in the housing market? Only if you're looking to buy a house. From an economic standpoint, we're really not all that concerned. Okay, our second thing, bubbles. Bubbles have seemingly popped up everywhere. I can't remember a week where I saw more written about or commented on than this past one with regard to bubbles. Yes, we've taken note of Bitcoin and Tesla stock along the way, but all of a sudden, everyone seems to be worried about bubbles, not just the odd one-off story or two, but widespread throughout markets. Recall that we at KBRA addressed this topic back in August in a webinar I hosted and was joined by our senior advisor, Professor Ed Altman from NYU's Stern School of Business and Professor Harry Mameski from Uptown Rival Columbia Business School. Harry is also a consultant to KBRA and is intimately involved in our KBRA Altman data analytics products. Now, we had what I recall was a fascinating debate over whether the debt buildup in the U.S. constituted a bubble. And for what it's worth, Professor Altman made a strong case that we are indeed in a bubble with regard to debt, while Professor Mameski and yours truly discounted the threat. And by the way, you can find a transcript of the webinar on our website, kbra.com, enter transcript in the search function, and you'll find it. But let's jump ahead to today, where respected views have suggested we have bubbles in U.S. stocks, Chinese stocks, the credit markets, the aforementioned housing market, and let's not forget, how could we? a video game retailer. The sources of all this speculative activity range from the sublime, central banks and their ultra-low rate paradigms, to the ridiculous, superfluous stimulus that has fueled day trading run amok. Now, among voices we listened to, Fed Chair Powell this week addressed the issue of whether ultra-low rates were contributing to a potentially dangerous rise in some asset values. He responded by saying that, quote, What's been driving asset prices isn't monetary policy. Expectations about vaccines and fiscal policy. Those are the news items that have driven asset values in recent months. He added, the connection between low interest rates and asset values is not as tight as people think, though he acknowledged that monetary policy does play some role. For what it's worth, we believe ultra-low rates encourage people to borrow and to take risks. These are two consequences. I'll leave it up to you to decide if they are unintended of the Fed pursuing its full employment mandate. All right, so let's size this up. This is really an exercise in just how big a trillion dollars is. If we take existing stimulus and add in some part of Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package now being debated, and a long sought after infrastructure package perhaps down the road, we're looking at roughly five to $6 trillion of stimulus coming into what is a $21 trillion economy that money has to go somewhere. Traditional hard assets such as commercial real estate was a clear destination up to the pandemic, which understandably has cooled parts of that asset class. But that has left a lot of money out there that has found its way into markets where we find stretched valuations in equity markets and credit markets where yields across not only the safe haven of investment grade, but also high yield are at all-time lows. How could this not end badly? Now, for a bubble burst to matter, it's got to be material to wreak havoc really on two things. One, the financial system, which is key to credit flowing through a healthy economy, and or two, the consumer, right, which drives 70% of the economy. 
On point one, the financial system, there is no evidence of excessive risk concentrations built up that is at risk for a sharp and deep correction. That was the GFC, a buildup of credit risk, mortgage-related in particular, that the financial system was knee-deep in. The correction triggered a credit crunch that left a mark for many years. Today, the financial system is in solid shape, making plenty of money and letting much of the riskier assets to be diffused into the capital markets and shadow banks. On the second point, the consumer, it's worth noting that his or her net worth are at all-time highs, as we mentioned in the housing story, and they have deleveraged since the GFC and over the course of the pandemic. They could absorb corrections to their largest components of that net worth, the value of their home and their investment portfolio, and easily carry on. Now, a severe markets correction would certainly bite and could happen fairly quickly, but a crippling correction to home prices would take years of economic underperformance, and that just isn't in the cards. We're really on the lookout for a severe enough shock to trigger an unemployment-driven downturn. And again, it just doesn't feel like that is on the horizon. So our point here is that asset classes can become frothy and they can correct, but it takes a special bubble, something truly extraordinary to reach the degree of pervasiveness that can materially impact an entire economy. Now, our third thing in credit this week is corporate earnings. About a third of the S&P 500 has reported, and the numbers, as you might expect, are strong. Two-thirds have reported increased earnings year over year, and 80% of the releases are positive surprises. So it feels like we will do better than the down 8.8% year-over-year earnings decline that was forecast coming into the quarter. And oh, by the way, with the vaccines ready to return us to normal, the consensus estimate for 2021 is calling for 23.5% earnings growth year-over-year over 2020. So everything feels great, right? Well, not so fast. Yes, through all the federal support and better-than-expected adaptation by business to the pandemic, Corporate America did not fall apart. But you might want to keep that enthusiasm in check when you see those double-digit earnings growth rates forecast for 2021. If we compare 2021 estimates to 2019, that year-over-year increase is more like 4%, with declines expected in energy, financials, really the banks, real estate, and industrials, led by capital goods and transportation. What this means for credit investors, of course, is that we are not yet out of the woods. The uncertainty surrounding the vaccines and the mutating virus, the yet-to-be-quantified scarring effects of the pandemic, and weakness in the labor market still represent meaningful headwinds in credit, in our opinion. So there you have it. Three things in credit. A strong, but not dangerously so, housing market. Stretched asset prices overall, but we would be judicious in using the word bubble. And corporate earnings, when forecasting, best to compare to 2019 rather than 2020. That's going to give you the best perspective. Thanks for tuning in this week. See you next week.